0: morning. The title of this morning's message is Changing Our Mind, Brain, and Heart. This morning I want to continue to talk to you about the connection between our mind, our brain, and our heart, and why we actually need to change our mind, our brain, and our heart. And then finally I want to tell you how we can change our mind, our brain, and our heart. Changing our mind, brain, and heart is really the primary work of a believer. Everything God does and wants to do in and through us comes through our mind, our brain, and our heart. In fact, the first message Jesus ever preached was, change your mind. In Mark chapter 1, verse 15, it says this. This is Jesus speaking. And he says, the time is fulfilled. The kingdom of God is at hand. I mean, it's here. Repent ye and believe the gospel. Now the English word that is translated repent is the Greek word metaneo. It's from two words put together, meta and neo. It means to think differently or afterwards. Reconsider, or morally it can refer to feelings of compunction, regret and sorrow. But most of the time when believers hear the word repent, they jump to the results of having your mind changed, which is to be sorry for what we've done. But that was not what Jesus was saying. Jesus wasn't saying, Feel sorry for your sins and believe the good news. Feel sorry, good news? Mm, those two things don't go together. No, he was saying, You have to change your mind in order to believe the good news. Now, Jesus began with, The time is fulfilled. What time? The waiting time for the Messiah was over. It was a brand new day. The rule and reign of God had finally appeared in and through the Lord Jesus Christ. Jesus brought the kingdom, the dominion of God to earth. And he released that dominion through his life. This was the good news. The kingdom of God is now available. But you're going to have to change your mind and your heart belief If you want to participate in it because the new covenant required a whole new way of thinking and it's still true for us today whatever problem habit situation that we have in our life that we would like to see changed the answer is still the same change your mind and believe the good news The good news that Jesus has finished the work. The good news that he will never leave you or forsake you. The good news that you are loved deeper and higher and longer and higher than you can ever even imagine. Believe the good news of what Jesus has done. So if we want to change something, we have to begin by addressing what's in our head. (laughs) Our thinking and our brain. And then that which we embrace as truth can become real in the heart, the place of deep belief. It's a transition from hearing to thinking, to choosing and believing, and bringing that down into our heart. We start with addressing what's in our head, our mind and our brain, so that our believing can fully persuade our heart. So what is our mind and how is it different from our brain? Well, I have the Wikipedia definition. I thought it was a pretty good one. So I have that for you. It says this. The mind is the set of cognitive faculties, including consciousness, imagination, perception, thinking, judgment, language, and memory, which is housed in the brain. It is usually defined as the faculty of an entity's thoughts and consciousness. It holds the power of imagination, recognition, and appreciation, and is responsible for processing feelings and emotions resulting in attitudes and actions. I like this definition because it's very comprehensive. It kind of sticks it all in there, but it still lacks a fuller understanding of the connection between our mind and our brain. Our brain isn't just a house for our thoughts. (laughs) Our brains actually affect how we think. And in turn, our thinking affects our brains, actually and physically, not just spiritually. Science now knows that we do not have stationary brains. They used to believe that you were stuck with whatever you were born with, (laughs) and good luck with that. (laughs) But now scientists know that our brains can actually continue to physically grow all the days of our life, grow more brain cells and their necessary connections within our present brain space. If you picture a large piece of undeveloped land, like a plain or a meadow, the possibilities of how that land could be developed would be endless. You could build as little or as much as you wanted. And depending on how big the property is, you could even build an entire city or even an entire country on top of that space. Yes, even an entire country. You know, Israel fits inside Wisconsin. (laughs) Okay, (laughs) It's amazing. (laughs) That's kind of how I see our brain. We have undeveloped land in our brain that we can build on as much or as little as we choose. And what we build there is called memory. Our brains can hold approximately 5 billion books of memory. That's how much space you have in your brain. (laughs) That's how much information your brain can physically hold. Five billion books. That's a lot of undeveloped space in our head. (laughs) According to Dr. Caroline Lee, a Christian neuroscientist and cognitive behavior specialist, she says, we have enough space in our brains to build memories for the next several million years unlimited potential between these ears. (laughs) Unlimited potential. And that's what I want you to think about. You have unlimited potential just in the hardware that God gave you, not to mention the software. I mean, you are not limited. If you think you have limitations, you are mistaken. You don't know how God made and designed you. You are extraordinary. (laughs) So our brains are just waiting for us to start building memories so that our mind, the place where we hear our thoughts, can access the information stored. That's how it's supposed to work. We put stuff in, (laughs) put all those books in, and then our mind goes, hmm, I need this. And it chooses that information and applies it. One of the things we need to know about our memories, though, is that they are not imaginary. We think thoughts, we don't think about thinking our thoughts. Turns out, we need to think about thinking our thoughts. (laughs) What it is we are thinking and what are those thoughts doing, besides just thinking? Our brains store memory on physical cells. It's kind of like writing in a blank journal or a diary. Our brain stores or writes information on a physical cell in your brain. If you took that cell out, that memory would go away. We keep all of our cells where we want them. (laughs) We don't take them out. But that's the idea, is that you have physical places in your brain. If a surgeon touched it, you would think a certain thought. Because that thought actually has a house in a cell. And when you touch it, it releases. Okay. So that is how our brains work. These memories are actually real. Our brain stores and writes information on our physical brain cells, and these cells physically look like little trees in our brain. We have entire forests of memories. Now, unlike writing in a journal, not all of our memories are permanent. You've probably experienced that. What was I going to do? What did I come in this room for? (laughs) What did I need to buy at the store? What was that again? Not all memory is permanent. Our brain automatically goes through the pages Of our memory and deletes information that we are either not using or is not considered important to us. That's what we call short-term memory. It's like when we crammed for that test. (laughs) We did pass the test but don't ask us any questions after the test because we put it in there just long enough to answer some questions. We didn't actually learn. We were on the way to learning. In order for that information to become permanent, you gotta keep going over it again and again and again. (laughs) So, short term memory means that we don't keep that information, it just sort of passes through. (laughs) What happens is, and they're physically in your brain, is that when you start studying, when you start going over something over and over and over, your brain produces a little tiny tree. And if we don't continue to feed that tree, that memory, okay, it takes 60 to 63 days, depending on who you ask, to get our little brain memory tree to be full grown and mature so that it can bear fruit in our lives. (laughs) Okay, so if it doesn't get to maturity, the brain automatically cuts down, throws it out. (laughs) It dissolves it. That's why you're like, why didn't I remember that? It wasn't important. Memories that are important to us usually contain emotion. Emotion is like superglue for memories. The more emotion we have in a memory, the more permanent it will be. This can be really good, <laughs> and it can be really bad. Remembering the first time you saw one of your children can be a really good and enjoyable memory. But remembering when you were bullied at school can be a really bad and painful memory. The reason the memory of seeing our first child for the first time, is so powerful, is because what the brain does is it marries emotion with our experience. Love will write the memory. It will superglue it so that it's permanent. There are things you remember that you will never forget because it is described in your brain literally. Literally, it is written in your brain. And then, if it's really important to us, it gets written on our heart. Okay. The reason that the memory of being bullied can be so powerful, though, is because those memories are written in our mind and in our heart with fear. Fear is the second most powerful, <laughs> second most powerful superglue to our brains. Scientists have come to the conclusion that human beings have two internal atmospheres, that our brain is operating from at any given time. I'm not talking about left and right. I'm talking about an atmosphere, an overarching mindset. We are either thinking fear-based thoughts or we are thinking love-based thoughts. And it's our thoughts itself that actually produce those emotions. Sometimes you, you feel certain ways. You're like, what, what is this bothering me for? I don't even get it. Your brain remembers. When something just like that bothered you before and it produces that corresponding emotion now according to science fear-based thoughts and emotions include things as wonderful as anger grief shame guilt bitterness judgment condemnation jealousy frustration doubt worry anxiety panic insecurity whatever is negative you want to sign up for that no no, let me help you. No, you do not want to sign up for fear. <laughs> Whatever is bad, all of those bad thoughts come from the foundation of fear. And it turns out all of these negative thoughts and emotions are really, really physically bad for your mind, your brain, and your heart, and your body. When your brain gets into fear, it releases all bunch of chemicals that it can't do anything with. And so, although these chemicals go to work to produce in us bad feelings, bad emotions, physical experience, fear is actually physically bad for us. According to the latest science, fear-based thinking and feeling can actually damage our brains and bodies because of the chemicals that these thoughts and feelings produce. Fear-based thinking is actually physically, emotionally, and mentally toxic human beings yes it can kill you you can die from fear fear disrupts our logical thinking it can cause us to get stuck or frozen unable to move forward in a reasonable rational way until we get calmed down ever try to tell a little kid not to be afraid how well does that work <laughs> <It> doesn't <laughs> we can't seem to make a decision and we don't know which way to turn and we don't know what to do and fear causes us to do nothing That's because fear causes a fight or flight reaction in our body which causes the brain to tell our body to move all of the blood around our vital organs into our arms and legs. All the blood goes away from your brain (laughs) into your arms and legs (laughs) so that you can either fight or run away. When we're afraid, our brain's job is always to keep us alive okay that's what a duck tries to do keep us alive it tries to protect us from the lions tigers and bears it thinks is trying to eat us our brain knows there's no point in protecting our vital organs if we're being lunch for a bear your brain says mm, what's more important uh yeah not being eaten is more important all of your blood come over here and help us run away or fight So it sends all of our blood away from the one place we really need it. (laughs) And so that we can either kill the lion, tiger, and bear, or we can run away as fast as humanly possible. Either way, our brain wants us to end up in a safe place. To our brain, it doesn't matter if the lions and tigers and bears are actually the bills we owe, the sickness in our body, or the stress of caring for the needs of others. Lions and tigers and bears of guilt, shame, and condemnation can also create the same kind of fearful, internal atmosphere as real, ferocious animals. Condemnation, guilt, and shame all come from fear. It's because we don't know the truth about what Jesus did for us. When we're in a fearful atmosphere, logical, rational thinking is not considered important by your brain. (laughs) It just wants us to either kill the bear line or run away. Choose. Do something. Our brains just want us to get back to a state of peace and safety. Because when we are in an atmosphere of, of fear, our body is not able to flourish, grow, repair, or thrive because it's too busy trying to just keep us alive and safe from the lions and tigers and bears. Fear physically damages both the circuits in our brain and our immune system. Our brains figure that we don't really need to think or worry about the, f- the colds and the flus if we're fighting lions and tigers and bears. So it leaves our immune system open to foreign invaders because it's too busy taking care of the lions and tigers and bears. So fear actually compromises our health, mentally, physically, emotionally, and spiritually. Science now recognizes that nothing in this world is designed to live and thrive in an atmosphere of fear. Every living thing thrives only in an atmosphere of love and peace. Even in nature, fear is not a constant. As soon as the little warthog escapes the lion's chase and is safely hidden in a nice little cubby hole, he almost immediately goes back into being in a peaceful state of being. Prey animals, you'd think they would constantly live in fear. They don't. Prey animals only live in fear when there is an actual present threat. Fear is not their continuous atmosphere even though it may be frequently a temporary one. Prey animals can't eat or sleep when they're afraid. So if they were constantly afraid, they would very quickly become weak, sick, and lunch for someone else. (laughs) God not only designed the animals to live that way, he also designed us to live that way. We may be startled by something that looks like a threat, but God wants us back in peace and love as soon as possible because fear is deadly. It never, it never, it never comes from God. We don't have to be afraid of end times. We do not have to be afraid of end times. If you're in fear, you're not in love. You're not thinking God's thoughts if you're in fear. You can't. Your brain won't let you because all of God's thoughts are based in love. We never have to tolerate fear, ever. Fear is the devil's favorite tool, it's the easiest way. To stop a Christian. <laughs> it's the easiest way to get you to do nothing, <laughs> is to make you afraid. First Peter 5.8 says this, Be sober, be vigilant, because your adversary the devil, as a roaring lion, walketh about, seeking whom he may devour. Now, this doesn't tell us to be afraid. It just tells us to be aware. You see, there's a difference between fear and wisdom. God doesn't want us operating from fear. He wants us operating from wisdom. If you have wisdom, you don't need fear. (laughs) Fear is not helpful ever. Wisdom always is. So Peter starts this, be sober. It actually means what you probably think it means. (laughs) Don't be drunk. (laughs) But it includes the idea of doing anything that lets your brain do nothing just veg out sound like something we might be doing little tv little video games what happens you veg out you're not aware of your surrounding you're purposely numbing yourself to what's around you he says don't i mean we all have you know things we like to do but he says don't live that way don't live in the process of numbing yourself to what's real and true and of god And then it says, okay, be sober, don't be numb, (laughs) and be vigilant. Villagent simply means aware, awake. Don't be sleeping. (laughs) Don't let a lion come up and eat you because you're sleepy. (laughs) That's not a good idea. (laughs) So be awake and aware of what you're thinking. Because the liar, that's what the devil is, he's a liar. And the slanderer, and the accuser. Satan, the adversary who opposes us. That's what that means. Will try to scare us like a roaring lion so that he can devour us. If you're in love, you can't be devoured. Because if you're in love, you're in faith. But if you're in fear, you are lunch. (laughs) Because that's exactly what he wants to do, is to force us into a place of fear. In an article in Daily Science Magazine, Researchers explained the secret power of a big cat's roar, especially the tiger and the lion. Scientists have been puzzled by the unusual response of animals to hearing the roar of a tiger or lion. Their prey are momentarily paralyzed, giving the lion or tiger a good opportunity to eat them. Researchers have now discovered the reason why this works this way. When a lion roars, he has two roars, but you can only hear one of them physically. His roar is really physically loud, but in that roar, there's another roar that your ears can't hear, but your body can feel. It's a low-frequency blast that you can actually feel instead of hear. So you can hear a loud roar, but at the same time your body is feeling the sub-roar, the underpinnings of that roar. And what it does is it actually paralyzes the animals, and not only the animals. It's so powerful that even lion trainers have been known to go into shock when lions utter this low, frequency, roar. Our bodies feel it. Our bodies are aware of that frequency. Our bodies know. Your body knows when you're afraid. Your body knows when you're tense. Your body knows before you do. (laughs) I lay in bed and go, okay, body, let's relax. Let's go to sleep now. Come on. (laughs) Your body knows. It feels that tension. It feels that. That is what worry is. Worry is like that roar. It comes and it makes us afraid. Part of this roar is so powerful that it can even pass through mountains and dense jungle forests. It's amazing what this roar can do because what it does is it creates even more powerful fear. Fear works the same way on us. It can cause us to freeze because it interferes with rational thinking so that we can't make good decisions. We should never make important decisions if we're afraid. We can usually feel fear first and before we realize what's actually causing it. At the root of every fear, we find lies, not truth. Truth, the truth of God, the truth of Jesus Christ, the truth of who he is, the truth of what he's done, the truth of who we are in him will always bring you peace. Always, It will never bring you fear. Satan's native language is lying. He can't do anything else. He'll take a little piece of truth, but he'll twist it up real good so that it's no longer true. Satan is the source of lies. Satan is the source of fear. Satan will tell us every possible worst-case scenario that he can think of, to get us into an atmosphere of fear. Oh, we're never going to get out of this debt. Oh, we're never going to overcome this sickness. Oh, I'll never get a good job again. Oh, 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 oh. Look ahead and see how bad it is. (laughs) Not from God. Not from God. Because when we are in a fear-based atmosphere, that's when we can be swallowed up or drowned emotionally by our own worry and fear. That's what being devoured means it means to be swallowed up something overtakes you Mm -hmm. fear it won't let you be rational it will try to contain you and keep you in that toxic state and when we let it do that our brains and our bodies actually physically become toxic damaged and confused and it's only when we choose to think according to the truth of god's word that we can identify the roaring lion and his lies and that's what he does. He roars lies, both sneakily and stealthily <laughs> and right in your face. Whatever he can get you to swallow, <laughs> so he can swallow you. It is lies that produce guilt, shame, and condemnation, fear of abandonment, helplessness, hopelessness, and just go to plain fear and terror. But before Peter tells us to be sober and vigilant because of our lying opponent, he tells us this. First Peter 5, 6, and 7. Humble yourselves, therefore, under the mighty hand of God. Why? Because he's going to hurt you? No. <laughs> Why do we humble ourselves? Because we need his help. <laughs> because he knows everything. He has the answer. He is the answer. He is the power. He is everything we need. So we come to God and we go, we need you. <laughs> we need you. <laughs> I want what you've got. And then he says, casting all your care, anxiety, upon him. Why? Why would we do that? Because he cares. It means he has interest in. He has investment in us. He cares for us. In other words, Peter is saying, remember who you are and who your father is. The God of the universe is your dad. You got anything too big for him to handle? I don't think so. (laughs) And God is love. We are the object of his love. We as God's children were not designed to live in an atmosphere of anxiety and fear. So we need to go to God and cast. Cast means to fling quickly like a hot potato. <laughs> I like that picture. You ever play hot potato? Oh, 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 hot. I don't want to keep this. I don't want to keep this. Here, you take it. That's exactly what the scripture means. Don't you dare keep fear in your life. Oh, 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 no. You get it to Jesus, you take it. Absolutely, fling all your care and your anxiety on the Lord Jesus Christ. He has already planned the answer for you. We need to remember that we have the power and authority to choose our thoughts. You say we don't have to be afraid of thoughts. I was talking to someone recently and she was having some difficulty with fear and I said, are you afraid? Of your thoughts? And she's like, I think I am. <laughs> you see, so much of the church has been taught if you have a bad thought, oh, you must be bad. If you have a bad thought, oh, sinner, oh, backslider. No, don't claim stuff that doesn't belong to you. <laughs> We are the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus. We have to remember who we are and who our daddy is. We can't let fear, fear of anything, because anything you give fear to, you are empowering. If you believe bad thoughts are damaging you, because this is how I used to live. Oh my God, I had a bad thought. Oh no, I had a bad, i repent for three or four days. Oh, I'm so bad. Change my God, change my head, change my head. <laughs> no, we get to choose. We are kings and priests on this earth. We are to take dominion. And the first place we need to take dominion is over our head. (laughs) We have to take dominion over our head. What we think, what we believe, what we choose to know is true and right. We have dominion over our head. We can take every thought captive to the obedience of Jesus Christ. We can say, bad thought, you are not mine. I am not signing for that package. Fearful thoughts, not my package. But we have to choose it. Jesus won't do it for us. Did you know that? He gave you a free will and he never took it back. He'll let you think bad thoughts. He'll let you be selfish. He'll let you be angry. He'll let you be afraid. He will let you do whatever it is you want to do. So you have to decide, what is it I want to do? (laughs) Do I want to be afraid? No. Then you have to choose. Choose to do what's necessary to change your mind. Most Christians I know, and me too, I'll put myself in there, we really prefer the Naaman approach to everything. Remember Naaman? Naaman was a Gentile that wanted Elisha the prophet to heal him, and so he went to see him. He didn't even come to the door. Whoa, talk about offensive. (laughs) I come to see you and you won't even see me. He got all offended. So the servant says to him, the prophet says, go wash in the Jordan seven times and you'll be healed, you'll be clean. He got more offended. (laughs) You want me to do something? You want me to go into that dirty, filthy river to be cleaned? Are you crazy? And he left. And one of the servants said, you know, if it was a hard thing, I could see why you might not. (laughs) But if it's an easy thing, Why not? You see, he said, you know, I thought the man of God would come out, wave his hand over the spot, and make it all okay. Isn't that what we want? (laughs) God, please, just make it all okay while I do nothing. (laughs) He doesn't. He doesn't. He says, you have to participate. He's not going to change your mind for you you have to cooperate with him so he can change your mind. You can't even change your mind without him. It is a cooperation. So we have to choose to do something. Faith that is truly faith does something. You see, in your particular situation, if you went to the Lord and he, you have a problem, he says, I don't want you to, do anything outward physically, I just want you to stand in faith. That's doing something. <laughs> that is doing something, because you, that means that I am not gonna let any stinking, rotten little thought come in my brain and poison my faith. So I am standing. It looks like you're doing nothing, but you are standing against the wiles of the devil. Sometimes, most of the time, <laughs> Faith requires us to act. If we believe in the amount of potential we have in our brain alone, not to mention the indwelling presence of the God of the universe, (laughs) if we believe in all this potential, we have to do something to access it. And it starts with our thoughts. We have to choose them. In John 14, as we've already heard today, Jesus says to his disciples, verse 27 Peace I leave with you, my peace I give unto you. Not as the world giveth, giveth I unto you. Let not your heart be troubled, neither let it be afraid. Don't let your heart be afraid. I don't care how many temper tantrums it throws. I don't care how strongly you want to give in. You have a choice and you have the power and authority to stand against those thoughts and those fears and say, absolutely not. I am staying in the atmosphere of love and peace. I choose peace. Jesus tells us that it doesn't matter what the external situation is. We can choose to stay in the atmosphere of love and peace because he has given us internal peace peace through the indwelling of the Holy Spirit. Right before he said, peace I leave you, he said this, verse 26, but the comforter, which is the Holy Ghost, whom the Father will send in my name, shall teach you all things and bring all things to your remembrance whatsoever I have said to you. The definition of comforter, according to the Webster's 1828 Dictionary, says this. A comforter is one who administers comfort or consolation, one who strengthens and supports the mind that is in distress or danger. I also wanted to know what comfort meant. What is it that he brings to us? According to Webster's, it means this. To comfort means to bring relief from pain relief from distress of mind it is the ease and quiet which is experienced when pain trouble agitation or affliction ceases it's when you get home from standing on your feet all day and you sit down on the sofa and you go oh it feels so good that's relief that's what god does for us that's what the holy spirit does in us Comfort implies that some degree of positive animation of spirit, in other words, it changes our outlook, or it brings some pleasurable sensation that is derived from hope. (laughs) You know what hope is? It is faith for the future. We don't hope for heaven the way the world talks about it. We have a confident expectation that we are already there. And and when we unzip this (laughs) bodysuit, we're going to be presently in in the presence of Christ. So what the holy spirit will do if we let him is he will lead us into a state of being at perfect peace when jesus said the word peace he probably actually said the hebrew word he didn't speak greek with his disciples he would have spoke either aramaic or hebrew so probably what he actually said was shalom which is much more than the absence of fear peace in the hebrew in the strongs Comes from the word shalom. And I love this. It means to be safe in mind, body, or estate. The primary feeling of shalom is safety. We can't be at rest and at peace if we don't feel safe. If we don't feel safe in our finances, we won't have peace. If we don't feel safe in our relationships, we won't have peace. If we don't feel safe, In the presence of God, if we think he's trying to hurt us and harm us, (laughs) we won't feel safe. Shalom is much bigger than what we understand the word peace to mean. I found an online explanation of shalom from a Christian website called FIRM, which stands for Fellowship of Israel Related Ministries. I want to give credit where credit is due. I wanted to be able to fully explain what shalom really means from a Jewish perspective. Shalom is taken from the root word shalom, which means to be safe in mind, body, or estate. It speaks of completeness, fullness, or a type of wholeness that encourages us to give back, generously repay something in some way. True biblical shalom refers to an inward sense of completeness and wholeness. In other words, we have nothing lacking and nothing broken. That's what shalom is. Although it can describe the absence of war, the majority of biblical references refer to an inner completeness and tranquility. In Israel today, when you greet someone or you say goodbye, you say shalom. And when you do, you are literally saying, may you be full of well-being or may health and prosperity be upon you. Health and prosperity is part of our peace part of our covenant. We know God is the provider of everything we need for life and for godliness. So shalom peace is peace in every area of our life. We don't need to worry about anything. (laughs) It's like Trieva said earlier, we need to simply listen. (laughs) Listen to how God says we need to do it. Listen and do. So we could say the Holy Spirit as our comforter speaks peace to us by reminding us that in Christ, we are whole, we are complete, we are lacking no good thing, and we are not broken. And when he does this, it relieves our fear-based thoughts. You see, telling a fear-based thought, go away, go away, go away, won't work for very long. (laughs) You've got to replace thoughts of fear with love thoughts. It is love that casts out fear perfect love, God's love. (laughs) We have the power and authority to change our internal atmosphere to love and peace through God-based thoughts. God-based thoughts given to us by the Holy Spirit and the written word of God will always, 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 always lead us into a state of peace. We can see this truth in Philippians chapter 4, beginning with verse 4. I use the International Standard Version because it's fun. <laughs> Starting with verse four. Keep on rejoicing in the Lord. How long? All times. All times. It's raining outside, all times. Going to have surgery tomorrow, all times. Just lost my job, all times. (laughs) All times. We have reason to rejoice, all times. Doesn't matter what the devil is saying. Doesn't matter what tricks he's pulling. We can rejoice in the Lord, all times. (laughs) And then he says it again, keep In case you didn't get it the first time, keep on rejoicing. Why? Because it changes your heart. It changes your mind. It changes you. It makes the atmosphere good. (laughs) Our brains love for us to have an attitude of gratitude continuously. If you're complaining, you're not in love goes on, let your gracious attitude be known to all. The Lord is near. I thought this was a little bit odd. So I looked it up and it's actually in the Aramaic, the Lord is near means the Lord is coming soon. Why should we be gracious to all people? Because we want them to see Jesus in us. They would say, you just lost your job and you're rejoicing, what is wrong with you? i know jesus i know the king of the universe and he's crazy about me that's what we want to be able to do so let other people see the gracious person that jesus has made us verse 4 i love 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 this never not ever are you ever to worry why because it's really bad for our brains, our bodies, and our life. It messes with our faith. It's fear-based. It's not from God. So he said, this is a command. Don't you let worry come live in your house. Don't you let worry come in and mess up your atmosphere instead. I love this. See, you've got to replace. Instead, in every situation. That sounds like kind of a lot, doesn't it? Every situation. Situation? We're supposed to take every situation to God? Yes, (laughs) because He knows everything. (laughs) In every situation, let your petitions be made known to God through prayers and requests with thanksgiving. Thanksgiving lets our brain know that we believe, we receive when we pray. We can ask God for a whole bunch of things, but if we don't actually believe in our mind our brain and our heart that the answer is yes and amen we're not going to be thankful we're going to be going what's well, taking you so long <laughs> no thankfulness when you think about the thing that you received when you prayed it just happens to live in a different dimension right now <laughs> it's on the way it's real it's true it exists grace has done faith says now okay thanksgiving When we receive grace, when we receive truth, when we hear the Lord, that is going to be the response of our heart. Thank you. Thank you. Grace always leads a person, a believer, to say thank you. Verse 7. Then God's peace, then. Then when? When you've taken everything to God. When you've refused to worry. Then God's peace, which goes far beyond anything we can imagine, will guard your hearts and minds in union with the Messiah, Jesus. Once we hear the voice of God and the truth of God through prayer and the written word, peace comes. And that peace guards us from further harassment. Once we know that we know that we know the truth, we don't ever have to put up with another harassing thought. We just keep rejoicing and praising Jesus for the truth. Verse 8, finally, brothers, whatever is true whatever is honorable whatever is fair whatever is pure whatever is acceptable whatever is commendable if there is anything of excellence and if there is anything praiseworthy keep thinking keep thinking about these things (laughs) we need to keep thinking god-based loving thoughts verse 9 likewise Keep practicing these things. What things? Rejoicing, (laughs) thanking, making sure our internal atmosphere is love. Practice these things. Practice what you've learned, received, heard, and seen in me. Then the God of peace will be with you. Now, doesn't that sound funny? Then the God of peace will be with you. We heard that earlier. What do you mean? You live in me all the time. <laughs> How is it you're going to be with me then? The God of peace is always with our spirit, but he also wants to be with us in our thoughts continuously. Science has proven that our brains are designed to continuously carry on a conversation with someone other than ourselves in our head. Wow. <laughs> kind of makes them scratch their head, what do you mean my brain is designed to have a conversation in here with someone other than me? But they know it's true. You see, we don't always let Jesus speak his thoughts in us. Like Trisha was saying, sometimes we're like, no God, don't don't really want to hear it. (laughs) People get mad at God. God's not fast enough. He hasn't done what I want him to do. And they say, no, I don't want to hear what you have to say. God wants to be in our thoughts continuously and we can see this in 1 Thessalonians 5.17 the Apostle Paul says something really easy pray without ceasing sounds pretty easy or impossible (laughs) because if we think prayer is is kneeling on the floor and praying and asking God to do stuff over and over and over again then we don't Yeah, that's impossible. You can't live that way. But if we take God with us and understand that my brain wants, my brain, my physical brain wants me to have a conversation with God all the time. All the time. Now, when I started this message, I told you I would tell you how (laughs) to change your mind, your brain, and your heart. In order to do that, I want to tell you my experience about when I decided to quit smoking long time ago when the lord started impressing on my heart years ago that he wanted me to quit smoking my first response was no no like smoking <laughs> not interested <laughs> he's so good <laughs> of course he continued to impress on my heart what he wanted for me You see, when you love Jesus, when he's telling you he wants you to do a certain thing, you're like, oh, I want to make you happy, but I really don't. (laughs) I want to do what you want me to do, but I don't really want to have to do it. (laughs) But he kept pressing. He never told me it was a sin. He never told me he was mad about it. He just kept saying, sweetie pie, this is not good for you. That's all this is not good for you i kept resisting but my resistance became less and less as he continued to change my mind yep he'll do that he'll change your mind one day the lord asked me do you think someday you're just gonna wake up and not want to smoke anymore (laughs) i thought about it for a while that um kinda (laughs) i was kind of thinking it might work that way. <laughs> and Lord said, nope, it doesn't. You have to choose to do it on purpose. I didn't like that answer either. I wanted him to wave his hand over the spot and make it go away. <laughs> so anyway, I finally yielded and said, okay, okay, I'll do it. But I don't know how, because I know I smoked for five years. I was a two-pack-a-day smoker. I had no interest in quitting on my own. (laughs) I was only going to do it to make Jesus happy. (laughs) That was the only real reason. (laughs) And I said, so how do I do this? And he says, I want you to go to the library and get a book on breaking habits. Oh, okay. So I didn't have to start until I read my book. So I'm thinking this is good. (laughs) I can smoke longer. (laughs) So what I learned from that book is that it took 30 days to break a habit and another 30 days to make a habit. So, after 60 days or so, I should be free from the habit of smoking. But what I didn't know back then was that during the first 30 days, the brain cell trees in my brain that had all my, in my smoking information, the habit of how to smoke and do it well, <laughs> to <it> look really cool. <laughs> when I wasn't smoking, that information in my brain started to dissolve. You see, nowadays scientists know I didn't know why back then. Because what we're actually doing when we're changing a habit is we're changing our our brain. And it is our mind that changes our brain. And it is our brain that will change our bodies. I had also replaced cigarettes with healthier options like gum, sugar-free candy, and carrot sticks. I actually found myself one day watching TV with a carrot <laughs> between my fingers like a cigarette. I'm, I'm like, oh, this is really a bad habit. <laughs> you don't even know you're doing it. You're just trying to smoke a carrot. <laughs> so what I decided to do then is I took up knitting because my hands needed something to do. You see, smoking had me always busy. I was always doing something with my hands. And so when I replaced what I put in my mouth with something healthy, I needed to replace what I was doing with my hands. So I took up knitting. (laughs) What I didn't know back then was that I was building new memory trees and pathways in my brain. At the same time that the old smoking habit memories were being completely dissolved. Science says that we can change our thinking patterns from fear-based thinking to love-based thinking in the same way. First, we have to make a decision to change what we think and the way we think. Then we replace fear-based thoughts with God-based love thoughts on purpose every day for 60 days or so (laughs) for at least seven minutes a day. And then we go over the same truths every day for 60 days. It is the repetition and deep thinking that gives our brain what it needs to grow new, healthy memory trees in our brain that are permanent and complete. You know what this process is called? meditation. (laughs) It includes the idea of looking at our new thoughts and truths over and over and over. So often new Christians are like, what am I going to get this? I keep doing my old stuff. The problem is not your spirit, man. The problem is your brain isn't converted yet. It takes 60 days to get a new thought permanently indwelt in your brain. So said, that's why we fall back so often. We don't go over the truth time after time after time. Love-based thoughts, God-based thoughts, the Word of God. If we want to change a habit, we've got to change our brain. And that takes 60 days. All of us have spent time worrying in our lives. <laughs> Worry is meditation. Sometimes people are like, well, how do I meditate exactly? Do I memorize Scripture? That's not the point of meditation. Meditation is to think and look at the truth. You see, that's what worry does. Worry says, maybe I could fix it this way. Or maybe I could do this over there. And we keep working it and working it and working it and working it because we're trying to find the answer and the answer isn't even in your head. It's in your spirit. (laughs) That's what we do with the word of God, with the truth. Especially when it comes to the finished work of Christ. Because Satan will always tell you, you're no good. You're a big fraud. You think you're, you're righteous. You, think, you really think God likes you. Come on. Did you just see what you thought? <laughs> he always comes to condemn us and to make, try to make us feel bad, to think God is mad. Why? Because he gets us into an atmosphere of fear. If we're in an atmosphere of fear, he can devour us. And we don't want that. Now, he can only devour us outwardly, okay? In our emotions and mind and stuff. But the point is, fear is bad for you. It's bad for your mind. It's bad for your body. It's bad for your heart. Fear interrupts your faith. Fear is never from God. So we can choose to, on purpose, on purpose, pick a truth. (laughs) Do you know how secure you are in Christ? Do you know it doesn't matter what happens in your life? From this point forward, God will never, ever, never, ever leave you. Do you believe that? Or when you fall short, do you come to God going, I'm really sorry, God, please don't be mad. Please don't be mad. I don't want you to be mad. Because so much of the church is indwelt by the God is mad at you. That is never, 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 never true. All the mad went on Jesus. (laughs) There is no more mad for us. Truly changing our mind doesn't happen overnight. That's my point. All of us have things in our life we'd like to see different, changed. But we want God to, like Naaman, wave his hand over the spot and make it go away. (laughs) It doesn't work. (laughs) It doesn't work. But with faith, patience, and consistency, we can change our mind, our brain, and our heart all at the same time. The Apostle Paul said, keep rejoicing in the Lord at all times. Keep yourself in the love and truth of God at all times. Never worry about anything. Instead, in every situation, pray. Believe you receive when you pray and be thankful. Then the God of peace, which passes all understanding, will guard your hearts. He he guards us with his truth. He guards our hearts and minds for the Lord Jesus Christ. And finally, make sure you only think on good things. Whatever is true, honest, just, pure, lovely, of good report, virtuous, or praiseworthy, keep on thinking on these things. And the God of peace will be with us in our thinking. Amen. Father God, we thank you that you are a good, good Father. Father God, we thank you that you spoke to us these very same truths all through the worship all through the encouraging words, all through the prophecy, you want us to get this. <laughs> so you don't mind repeating yourself over and over and over and over and over because you know that's the way our brain works. We need to grab hold of the truth that you want our hearts to believe and go over and go over and go over and let the Holy Spirit help us worry it to turn it over and turn it over and turn it over until it becomes so real to us that we start walking in. Father God, we thank you for the truth that science points to. Science points us to your design. Science points us to the reality of a creator. Science hasn't yet caught on to the truth that your name is Jesus. But at least it's still bearing witness to the fact that you are a creator, and that you have created this world and everything, and that you are a creator and you have created and recreated us. We are born again, new creations. And when you want us to learn to think, just like you. And we thank you, Father God, that the Holy Spirit is our comforter and our leader, and he leads us into all truth. Father God, I ask that you remind us, remind us to keep rejoicing all the time in the goodness of our Father. In Jesus' name, amen.